What's up, everyone? It's the love, the jam, the podcast. I'm Chapon with you as always. Uh, with Rob, how you doing, Rob? I'm doing okay. I'm I'm trying to avoid getting the flu, um, which has been sweeping through my part of Michigan. But I'm very happy because the Australian Open started tonight, and I love me some tennis. So. Yeah. Yeah, the Australian Open, Novak Djokovic. Uh, I'm a big fan of his, and I'm hoping that he can win uh, another record, another another Grand Slam and get closer to Federer and Nadal. I think he'll be number 17 on his Grand Slam tally. I get pretty hyped for the Australian Open, even though I don't really get to watch too much of it in during residency, but it should be fun. I'm also here with Lucas, who doesn't care much for tennis, I don't think. How are you doing, Lucas? <laughs> I'm good. Well, I was good until Robert informed us a moment ago that all of Eastern Michigan has the flu. And now I'm a little concerned about that, but uh, I'm doing great in New York. That's concerning. I mean, I also have a cold. I think I have like maybe a viral, like, like a, I have a sore throat, so hopefully it doesn't get worse. I'm just eating a bunch of yeah, oranges. If you're listening and... to this in Iowa, don't go to Shaps hospital. He'll cough on you. I'll cough on you. I'll put on a mask or something, maybe. But yeah, uh, don't don't come directly in contact with like my throat because that would be a bad idea. Um, yeah, we're here to talk about the Clippers, of course, not so much about the flu season and cold season, which is also unfortunate. Go get your flu shot, doctor's orders. Um, but also the Clippers one one thirty three one thirty yesterday against the New Orleans Pelicans, a good New Orleans Pelicans team, ten and four. Their last fourteen games playing pretty well even though Drew Holiday didn't play yesterday. So it was probably a pretty solid win. By probably, I mean definitely. Mo Harkless and Paul George were also not available. And really, it was the Kawhi Leonard and Lou Williams show. We can talk about this game quite a bit. Mostly the Clippers were behind virtually all game until they kind of turned it on in the fourth quarter, all the Pelicans to 20 points. Rob, how did you feel about this game yesterday? Uh, the game was pretty fun, really, which, again, is something kind of a theme that the Clippers games have not been super fun this year. This game was pretty fun. It was enjoyable. Um, You know, I never got the sense that they were out of it, which is something that's happened, you know, in several of their losses recently. I never really got the sense they were ever going to win. But this one, you know, I thought they were were always kind of in it. They kind of hung around. Um, Kawhi Leonard and Lou Williams continued to play extremely well, especially Kawhi Leonard. Um, You know, I thought he did a great job on Brandon Ingram while also – getting a lot of buckets on his own, getting some rebounds, playing, you know, ferocious health defense, and Lou um, continues to kind of cook. Uh, the rest of the Clippers, not quite on that level, but um, the effort was certainly a lot better, and I think, um, you know, the offense has looked much smoother lately, and I think a lot of that has to do with giving the ball more to Patrick Beverly and having him run the offense a little bit more rather than running the offense through the wings. Uh, I'm really curious to see... Uh, how that will look like when Paul George returns. Yeah, Pat's had some great numbers recently. A lot of near triple doubles. Even this game wasn't didn't really particularly stuff the stat sheet, but still had five, uh, still had six six boards, six assists, nine points, a three, uh, three steals. Really pretty, still a pretty nice stat line, all things considered. Landry Sham has also been playing pretty well. I think it's been worth noting he's been a little bit more versatile recently. It seems like he's getting his his legs under him a little bit more, which is important for this team. Lucas, what did you think of that game yesterday? I, I really enjoyed that game. I know that there's, you know, a lot of complaining to do on the Clippers side about allowing 80 points in the first half, certainly. But for me, it was, first of all, yeah, the defense is bad when you allow 80 points in the first half. But when the first half ends 80 to 70, that means it's been kind of a fun game to watch. There's been a lot of offense going on. I think that was definitely true. And the other thing for me was that, this was the rare NBA regular season game that was to me like had self-contained interesting components, like not with regards to the season narrative or what's really happening with either team, but just the tactics of this game actually were like fun for me to watch and kind of get into, which normally, I mean, even like Doc Rivers doesn't really change what he's doing game to game in the regular season typically. Um, So normally it's, the same day in day out for the Clippers, but watching how the Clippers kind of adjusted to Ingram and how the Pelicans were trying to exploit where the Clippers were missing guys by playing that small and playing Ingram so much at the four. I thought it was really interesting to see how the Clippers kind of handled that unique situation. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard played Ingram quite a bit. Kawhi Leonard actually has been playing a little more 
defense on premier scores. Everybody ranging from Brandon Ingram to legendary former Raptor Terrence Ross, who scored 51 points on the Clippers. Every time I see him, every time I see him, I'm worried he's going to score 30 points in a row. But Kawhi's defense and his willingness to pick up assignments, they mentioned it on the national telecast, which I listened to with Hubie Brown, who's always a joy to listen to. Um, they were mentioning that Kawhi has had more of a willingness to pick up uh, premier scores a little bit more so now than before. And of course, it helps when we don't have Mo Harkless and Paul George out there, especially against a guy like Brendan Ingram. I think it merits talking about Kawhi a bit. Rob, how have you seen Kawhi these last handful of games? I mean, he's been on a tear offensively. He really yeah. looks as good as he's probably looked. Like, he looks really good out there. He looks really healthy, which I still think is the most important thing. I mean, him playing well is, is obviously important. Uh, concerning the Clippers have kind of committed to him as their franchise player, you know, for the foreseeable future. But I think the health is most important. He looks much more explosive than he did earlier in the season. You mentioned that he's been guarding more premier defensive player, uh, you know, offensive players on defense, which he has been doing. Um, he's been doing that well while also maintaining that level of help defense, which he always brings in, which is honestly more important than his man-to-man defense, his ability to make those plays in passing lanes and, and get steals without, you know, making poor rotations and screwing up the rest of the defensive scheme is really impressive. And he just looks really good. I mean, I don't think he's on defense. He's still quite as good as he was in his, you know, defensive prime, which was much earlier in his career, you know, 2012 to 2014. Um, But he's looks, you know, very, very good on that. And certainly all defense and on offense. I mean, he's powering through contact. Um, he's getting around guys. He's getting to the free throw line. Um, he's getting more lift on his shot after his shot looked really flat earlier in the year. Um, I think he looks really, really good. I mean, I still get into arguments with people on Twitter about how I, I don't think he's the best player in the NBA, uh, but he certainly looks like, uh, you know, he's right up there and that's really good for the Clippers. You know, I, I'm, I don't know what the definition of best player in the NBA is anymore, but I think if the game's on the line, I think I want Kawhi Leonard on my team more than any other player in the league right now. And if that's, if that's enough to kind of push him in the idea of best player, because everybody will go on about the regular season, and I understand that Kawhi is definitively not the best player in the regular season. He won't be this year, won't be probably ever with how load management is unless he is eventually allowed to play full seasons. But I don't know. I don't think that there's another player in the league. I, I called him a cheat code last podcast, and I still think he is. His, his ability to get to the mid-range and hit shots consistently in that mid-range area, which teams will allow, is just so elite. And I feel like nobody else really has it. I think Chris Paul has it to an extent, but he's so... He's so much smaller that it's it's easier to bother him, whereas Kawhi is so rugged and big and has such, you know, such a huge frame that he can really bully anybody to whatever spot he wants to get to. So I don't know. I feel like I'm done with this whole defining the best player in the league thing, but I think Kawhi is the guy I want to end a game, any game, and I think that goes uh, volumes. Lucas, Kawhi, to you. Is he just looking healthier to you? How good is this guy right now? Yeah, I think he looks healthy. I, I mean, there's definitely been times during the season when he hasn't looked right fully healthy, but I, I think there have been times earlier in the season when he did look fully healthy as well. There's been a couple of games where he's looked a little off. But recently, more so than health, I think that, you know, it's worth noting, even as the Clippers have been downplaying it, that they went through and are kind of – just still emerging from, I don't think we can even say they're fully out of it, a, a really bad stretch in the first couple of weeks of January. And they were winning games because it was a really soft spot in the schedule, but where you would have liked to run together like nine wins in a row and get blowouts and sit guys during the fourth quarter every night, they were falling behind to worse teams, scraping back to win at the very end, allowing 40 points in the first quarter, like every game for a month. Right. So, Things were not going great, and I think Kawhi reached the point where, okay, it's midseason, it's time for him to really start getting going and gearing up for the playoffs himself, right, so he can be in peak form when the Clippers get there, and the team's struggling, and he kind of took a little more burden, and so like you mentioned, he, you know, went and asked Doc, Doc Rivers 
to give him tougher defensive assignments, which is something that I'd been a little critical of early in the season that the Clippers were playing Mo Harkless just to cover kind of and let their star defenders not have to guard the top guys every night. So Kawhi asked for that additional burden defensively. He's going and taking a, you know, really taking the game more seriously on the offensive end in the last couple of weeks, scoring the ball at a much, you know, he's really lasered in right now. And um, I think he's the best player in the league. Yeah, I kind of think so too. <laughs> that whole that whole spiel was kind of a segue. I think he's the best player. It's just hard to define what he's not the MVP of the regular season. But if I mean, if I'd rather have him to close a game, I don't really know what else I could say. It's not like I'd rather I to talk about rather having Anthony Davis in the first quarter. But who cares? Like I, I think he's incredible. Um, the Clippers also had a pair of blowouts in the middle of this week. They had a nice win against a couple of lesser teams. Though the Orlando Magic have been playing well, are our playoff team. They're still an under 500 team. Uh, they were fresh off a win in Los Angeles against the Lakers, when where Markel Fultz really showed off. And then the next game, not so much, and they were blown up pretty easily, 122-95. The Clippers also blew out the Cavs, 128-103, in games that were kind of similar to an extent. I mean, we had... Uh, we can talk about that Orlando game first. Really, if there's much to talk about specifically, the Clippers played well. I mean, Kawhi had another 30-plus game. Um, Pat Beverly had seven assists. Uh, I just – Lou was off this game, and Trez played well. I think Trez is going to get some chatter later tonight uh, in this pod. But I don't really have too much to say about this game. I think Landry Shamit's play – uh, merits merits some talk, especially in that Cleveland game where you started to see him kind of drive to the rim a little bit more and he's kind of built off that momentum. And if he can do that, then it's going to be really a great thing for this offense. But aside from that, the Clippers just kind of locked in and played well against inferior teams, which is something they haven't been doing. Uh, Rob, I, I'm not sure how much I want to talk about these blowouts, but anything that you want to mention about these two games? So uh, one thing I kind of touched on earlier, but I think it's interesting is that um, Patrick Beverly has really been handed the reins to the Clippers' offense a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I'm just looking at the Clippers' schedule. Patrick Beverly did not lead the Clippers in assists until um, uh, the 19th, which was against Houston. So that's you know a couple months into the season. Didn't again until uh, January 10th. Then he led them assists four games in a row. Um, so he's led them in assists five games a season. Four have been in the past five games. We're all in a row. Um, you know, I think there was there was a quote, I think, a week or two ago about how the Clippers have been trying to have him be more of a point guard. It was in relation, I believe, to something with him working with Ty Lue. Um, and I think it's really smart because I've mentioned on this podcast before that, uh, you know, Pat Beverly is really – I think he's overrated defensively, and I think he's underrated offensively. Um, You know, he's certainly not Steve Nash or even, you know, a a standard level playmaker um, in terms of point guard skills, but he's really an underrated passer and playmaker and he doesn't turn the ball over very much. And I've always been a little um, just kind of confused that he doesn't handle the ball as much as he does. I mean, it makes sense when you're playing with a guy like Lou Williams, he's just so much more dangerous um, as a scorer. Or even, or even James Harden, yeah. Well, yeah, but, uh, you know, and, and in the context of his career, it does. But, you know, in the past couple of years on the Clippers, they've played in kind of this free-flowing egalitarian offense where he often just hands the ball off to, you know, whether it was Danilo Gallinari or Tobias Harris or Lou Williams, and then just runs to the corner, sets up screen or whatever. And I think having him handle the ball a lot more has really paid a lot of dividends um, it's lessened the Clippers' turnovers. It's got them into their sets a little bit um, more quickly, and I just I like it a lot. And um, I think that's been a key reason that their offense has looked so good the past few games um, has been kind of the increased role of Pat Beverly in the offense. As for Landry Shamit, I thought he had some of the best drives of his young NBA career so far against the Pelicans. Um, you know, he was able to get Jackson Hayes on mismatches. He took advantage of those mismatches with hard drives to the basket and some nice finishes. And if he can flash that more frequently, you know, I think it would add a lot to his game. I'm not that confident he'll be able to because, you know, it's one thing to do it against Jackson Hayes in mid-January, another thing to do it against good defensive teams in the playoffs. But it's still encouraging, and it's it's been good to see him play better as well because he was, he's was he been pretty bad for a lot of the season. And if he can turn things around, that would be, that'd be huge for this Clippers team. 
Yeah, Pat Beverly has been on a nice streak of assists. I mean, he's he's only a career. I want to say his career high for assists per game was probably when he was a rocket and he had about four or so, 4.2. Right now he's at four and he's had a streak of like maybe six or seven games with six plus assists. I don't know if he's ever had anything like that before in the past. It's kind of worth checking out. So it definitely feels like something he can continue Let's say one, two. He's had about, yeah, about six games in a row, six plus assists. And he's been, he's been handling the ball a lot more. He's been a bit more aggressive. The offense looks a little, a little smoother. Kawhi is moving off the ball a little bit more. Um, and the team looks good, but, you know, we still need to add Paul George back to the squad and see how he kind of changes that dynamic a bit since he is also kind of ball heavy. Lucas, uh, what do you think about these two blowouts? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I pretty largely agree with what Robert was just saying. Um, I, I think Patrick Beverly being more aggressive offensively is what this Clippers team needs because his aggression is not – I think maybe there is a little bit of a disconnect where he's, try, he's trying so hard to be the point guard that he's not looking for himself at all, and he's trying to be kind of the setup guy. But where Patrick Beverly kind of has the ability to unlock this offense the most – is in doing something that the Clippers sort of struggle to do, which is take a guy off the dribble, get into the paint, and make the defense collapse. And one, of, I think the reason why the Clippers' offense has hit so many kind of lulls this season is because guys that they were kind of relying to do that, like Landry Shamit and Rodney McGruder, have just consistently beat a guy off the dribble, get into the paint, make the defense collapse, and then be able to make a play from there. So when Pat is aggressive offensively, He's capable of doing that, and that, I think, has made a huge difference for the, difference for the Clippers' offense. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard had 43 against the Cavs, uh, his season high. He was a couple points off of his career high. He was great. Um, we've said a lot about him offensively. The Clippers did have a dip against the Nuggets. I don't think we talked about that game because we didn't pod last weekend. 104-114, uh, the score is probably a little bit closer than the game really was. The Clippers did make a little run at the end of the game, but honestly, I wouldn't take too much solace from it. The Nuggets were on the second game of a back-to-back and just looked kind of rugged, and the Clippers never really were in position to win this game. They're really entirely only in this game because of Kawhi. Uh, Lou Williams had a good game too, and Montrez put up his usual stats, but the rest of the team looked pretty sluggish. Um, not really too much to say about this game, aside from the fact that at that time, the Nuggets just looked better than the Clippers, and the Nuggets are stacked, so it's not that weird to say that. They're also ahead of the Clippers in the standings right now, though they are playing the Pacers right now. I don't know what that score is. Um, the Nuggets are good, and the Clippers looked quite a bit lesser than them. Uh, Lucas, we can start with you. This whole Nuggets versus Clippers thing, I mean, this is a Western Conference power. They are ahead of us in the standings. They are probably going to be a two or three or four at minimum seed. Um, they're a good team. They're very, very loaded with players. They seem like if they get an injury, they have another guy they can pick right up. Michael Porter Jr. is even making a nice little <laughs> flash uh, for Clipper fans who might regret losing him or picking Jerome Robinson over him, but I, we can talk about that at a later time. I'm not a big fan of back injuries. What do you think about the Denver Nuggets, Lucas, and how they kind of look against a team like the Clippers? Yeah, I'm not sure that this is – so Denver is a re... Denver's a really good team, although I think they're the kind of team, in my mind, and maybe this, is, maybe this is controversial, where if you are really scared of a playoff series with the Nuggets, then you're probably not winning a playoff series against, like, Philadelphia or um, Milwaukee or the Lakers. So I, I think that, like, while they are one of the best teams in the West and – they would play the Clippers hard in a second round series. This is if, if the Clippers play this team in the playoffs, it would be very disappointing for the Clippers to lose that series. Um, but the Nuggets are good enough that when you're playing in Denver and Paul George is out, right. that should be a pretty competitive game. Um, it's not a team that you would expect to put away on the road with Paul George out. It's still, I don't think, is a team that you should get blown out by. And, yeah, it ended up being 10, but like you said, the Clippers kind of made it seem a little closer than it was with some garbage time stat padding. Ultimately, this was just another game in January where the Clippers have not played defense in the first half. They allowed the Nuggets 66 first-half points. And from there, you know, you let a team like Denver go up double digits at halftime at home, 
that's going to be a really difficult game to, to go and win. So for me, it, it comes down – I don't think there's a lot you can read about the matchup between these two teams from this game. It's also not a matchup I'm super worried about from the Clippers' perspective. But I think what you read from this game is sort of that continued struggle with intensity that the Clippers have been having through January and kind of I think we're having up through these last few games that we've been talking about where Kawhi has shouldered a little bit more of the load. Rob, much to say about this Nuggets game? Uh, No, I agree almost entirely, Lucas. I think the Nuggets are, are very good. Um, but they are a team the Clippers should beat in a playoff series. I remain probably less concerned about them than I am about any of the other top Western teams. I mean, obviously far less than the Lakers, but I'd say even I'd be less worried playing them than I would the Rockets um, or or probably the Jazz as well. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, I just think they don't match up very well with the Clippers. I know Jeremy Grant defended Kawhi decently well in that game. I don't really trust that to last. Um, yeah, I just – I'm not that worried about them. Like, so many of their players – they've had a similar season to the Clippers in that their record is really good, um, but they've had a lot of kind of disappointing losses and their fans have been kind of up in arms. But unlike the Clippers, who – most of their players outside of, like, you know, Rodney Magruder are having perfectly fine seasons – the Nuggets have a lot of guys who've like really stagnated in their development or progressed. Like Gary Harris is just right. nowhere near the player that I thought he was going to be when he broke out a couple years ago. Jamal Murray is is good, but he's not great. Like he doesn't really look like a future All Star, and they're paying him the max. Um, you know, several of the other young guys haven't really broken out. You know, Juancho Hernan Gomez, um, Malik Beasley, and Monty Morris have taken steps back. Um, and Michael Porter Jr., I still don't – I see the hype to some extent because, you know, he's huge and he can really shoot it and he can really score. But he's not a good defender and he doesn't do anything else on the court besides shoot. Um, and that while that player can still be really good, like I think he's going to have a very long NBA career. There are going to be – there's going to be – there's he's going to drop a 50-point game, like if he remains healthy. Um, but, I mean, all the insane hype over him I think is – is a little jumping the gun a bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not really that worried about the Nuggets. They're a good team. Um, you know, as Lucas mentioned, up in Denver with the altitude, um, you know, they're especially dangerous. But I don't think there's too much to take away from that game without Paul George. And with the Clippers still in a bit of a funk, I, I think that's – I'm not particularly worried about the Nuggets. Yeah, um, I think that's all fair, especially after seeing Denver struggle so much last postseason, closing out pretty inferior teams and losing to the Blazers. Um, I don't think they're meriting fear just yet, even though they're a really good regular season team. We'll see. We'll see what they do. Uh, The Clippers also, I don't think we touched on the Warriors game. There's really not much to say at all about that game. The Clippers really just turned it on to the fourth quarter and what was a pretty blah game and uh, had a great fourth quarter and one going away. Um, Pat Beverly almost had a triple double and Kawhi played well. Uh, Lou turned it on late, and so did Trez. I just don't really have much to say about this game, aside from the Clippers really just continuing their streak of poor play and then using a strong quarter to put away a very inferior team. I don't know. Do you guys have anything to say about this game, Rob? Do you have anything to say about that Warrior game? Not at all. Lucas? Uh, no. No, I, <laughs> I, remember, I remember that I watched this game, but I don't remember what happened in it. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It's been a while. Yeah, that, that was, uh, that's pretty much that game for you. And that really covers most of – that covers all the games that we have been covered the last couple of pods. We were away uh, last weekend, and we're back here now. Um, I think we can talk a little bit about some trade chatter. Lucas, you have a series that you're doing recently about some possible um, trade prospects – including I think you did Dwayne Dedman just recently um, and a few other guys kind of coming up in the pipeline. So through your initial research, have you seen anybody that's kind of jumped out to you as like, as like, Oh man, this guy looks really interesting or really gettable or has anything kind of popped out so far? Just kind of looking at some names. You know, there's, there's nothing for me that has really screamed like, the right combination of this is the guy that the Clippers need and this is a guy who the Clippers can get without giving much up. There's a lot of guys out there 
who will help, but maybe still have some holes. Um, and you'd have to give up, you know, potentially assets to go and get. I think maybe Deadman, who you mentioned, is maybe the one guy that you wouldn't have to give up assets for, but he has really had a putrid season in Sacramento this year. There's some grounds to hope that, that he would bounce back, but it would be a pretty big risk to even just give up Mo Harkless in a contract swap for Deadman. So, you know, it's, it's more a matter of who the Clippers decide they want and if they want anybody enough to attach maybe their first round pick this season to go and get an upgrade and then just which teams are going to be a little more willing to deal, which teams are going to maybe get a better offer elsewhere, that sort of thing. I think this bleeds also a little bit into some of our Twitter questions. I can ask you, Rob, Rob, like what do you see right now as being the Clippers most obvious deficiency i think we've touched about it particularly about possibly the center position is that still what you're thinking right now yeah yeah i mean i think i've been back and forth kind of at points this season between point guard and center um you know i think either would make sense um you know if you look at it in a different way ultimately i think i do come back to center i think the clippers biggest issues this season have not been from a lack of playmaking at point guard or um, any kind of deficiency there, but rather from defense. Um, and defense starts from the center position. Um, and while I do understand the need to play Zubots more, and I've written about their games where he should, I do understand their real deficiencies. He's not a super versatile offensive player. Um, you know, Montrose Hero is clearly a far superior player on that end, and that does matter. Um, you know, Montrose Hero, in games when he's fully engaged, does provide an energy level that is really hard to quantify and is really valuable. Um, so I understand why Doc Rivers plays him. That being said, he's overplayed and his defense, especially in the last few weeks, has been downright atrocious. Um, and really, really bad. I don't, I don't know if the Clippers, I don't know. If, I don't want to say they can't win a championship with him playing like 28 minutes a game, um, but it might be harder than it needs to be. So I do think center is the most logical. That being said, I, I still am not sure. I'm not convinced a trade is necessary. Um, like Luca said, I think there are plenty of trades that could help. I'm not sure how many game-breaking, you know, putting the cinch on a title trades there are out there, um, if there are any, um, that makes sense for both teams. So I would still lean with center. Um, but finding the right fit and the right, you know, combination and trade packages is quite a bit more difficult. Yeah, center's my spot too. And I've been more and more open to the idea of looking to trade somebody like Montrez Harrell if we can get something decent back for him because of his deficiencies um, defensively. And I think a lot of Clipper fans might not want to hear that, but I think it's fair to say. I mean, physically, he just has deficiencies and instinctively he has deficiencies. And they've been tough to watch recently, and that's just kind of been the truth. So I definitely think center is a tough position when you have 28, 30 minutes or so from Trez where, where the lane is just kind of open. Lucas, do you, do you kind of feel the same way as far as center being the spot to go? Or are you still feeling like point guard? What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think center is, is really a spot that the Clippers need to be looking at. Um, I think the question asked also like that power forward could be an option. And I do think that the Clippers, you know, the Clippers are, are probably looking at, power forwards because I think they would like you know any trade that they make is probably going to involve Mo Harkless going out because that big expiring contract is going to need to be the centerpiece to bring in any you know well-paid player that the Clippers want to acquire so I think in his place they would really like to add kind of a sharp shooting power forward because when you think about it when they know that they're going to be playing small with Kawhi at the four a lot in the playoffs so whoever you get is going to be sort of that stretch four, maybe next to Zubats, maybe they get someone else in for Zubats, maybe play 20 minutes a game in the playoffs and then sit when the Clippers go small. So, yeah, I think, they'll, I think they will look for a four, but I think the biggest hole that they have to fill is at center because Montrez Harrell just has not been good defensively and teams are going to keep exploiting that. And especially in playoff series against certain matchups where he's being asked right. to guard Anthony Davis, where he's being asked to guard 
Joel Embiid or Jokic or whoever, if the Clippers are really going to lean on him for, you know, 30 minutes a game or more in the playoffs, they are going to really suffer both in those individual matchups and because he just, like, he really does not make good reads as a team defender. Um, he is constantly out of position. He turns right. his hips the wrong way and then isn't able to recover back to the role man when he hedges out um, on a ball screen. I mean, all these things that, that really make you feel like, man, this guy is not going to be able to play big playoff minutes if, if he doesn't figure it out defensively in the next couple of months. Zubat's a little more solid in his positioning, but very slow with his feet. And so he's another guy who I think Zubat can play playoff minutes. He's solid. Trez can play playoff minutes too as a second unit guy, but I don't think he's someone you want kind of coming in and anchoring your team down the stretch, which is what he's been doing for the Clippers so far this year. Zubats is a guy that you, that you can play 18 minutes in the playoffs as long as the other team is playing a traditional center as well. But he's also not really the guy that you want in there down the stretch. And so I think that's what they need is they need to give Doc Rivers another body at center that he feels like is sort of the third way that he can go with eight minutes left in a close game when the Clippers need defense but also need someone who maybe can space the floor, is a little more mobile. So that's where you look at, you know, a guy like Deadman could potentially fill that role if he bounces back to his Atlanta form. A guy like Gorgie Zhang, um, who's not spectacular by any sense, but maybe is, can navigate that space a little better than Trez or Zoo uh, can and can also shoot the three, right? So a guy like Mark Gasol would be amazing for the Clippers. Um, or even right. a guy like Steven Adams, who doesn't shoot, but definitely has the defensive side of the floor covered. But how available, you know, the first few guys I listed aren't super exciting. The second couple couple guys I listed are going to be really hard to go get at the deadline. Yeah, I think that covers a lot of what we want to talk about. Um, we can kind of go to Twitter questions. Uh, Rob, do you want to lead that off? Yeah, we can, we can do that. So um, first off, we have... Uh, David Nagy asking, which of these three player types is it most important for the team to acquire by the trade deadline? One, playmaking point guard example, Lowry. Two, defensive center, Marcus All. Three, stretch four, Marcus Morris. Um, again, I, I think we all lean towards center. Um, for me, it probably goes center, point guard, stretch four. I see why they could use a stretch four, but I just think in the playoffs, Kawhi is going to be playing at the four a fair amount, and Joe Michael Green should be getting a lot of the rest of the four minutes. And I'm, I'm very happy with that combination. So, I, you know, center and that point guard are pretty clearly one and two for me. Yeah, um, it's center for me, probably point guard next. I think Jermichael Green like, is an important player to kind of mention, especially if we need to go small, uh, which is a reason why, you know, one of our centers is so expendable uh, for a, a long-term guy. Because there's concern that, you know, let's say we trade Trez or such, that what would we go against a team like the Rockets? What are we going to do then? I think we've all kind of talked about this too in our group chats about Joe Michael Green's ability to play a stretch five and how good he was against the Warriors and how good he could be then too. And he gives the Clippers a little bit of versatility. He is essentially kind of our stretch four already, even though he's not like a high volume scorer, but he absolutely takes the shots he's supposed to take, which is like almost half the battle. So yeah, center for me is still number one. Playmaking point guard is number two, which is kind of being also minimal, minimized a little bit if uh, Bev continues his playmaking. Yeah, go ahead, Lucas. Yeah, I mean, I think that center is definitely the Clippers' biggest need, you know, kind of like we were just talking about. But I would be open to them trying to go after a point guard if only because sort of like, um, you know, some of these center names – maybe hard to get, maybe not even a perfect fit. Even a guy like Marcus Gasol, who you think maybe is exactly what you want for this season, is going to be difficult to go get and is on an expiring contract and is turning 35 next week, right? So there's not, you know, you don't necessarily feel great about any of your options there and you might have to give up a lot to go get one of those guys. At point guard, you know, what the, the example from the question was Lowry, which of course, Lowry would be an amazing get um, for the Clippers, but I, it's hard to see Toronto being willing to part with him. But one guy, and I'm not necessarily endorsing this idea, I'm just throwing it out there, probably the best player who could potentially be available at this trade deadline is Chris Paul, I think. Because 
the Thunder, while they're playing well, and I don't think that they're going to go into fire sale mode, it's going to, I think it's going to be hard to get Danilo Gallinari or Steven Adams out of Oklahoma City because of how well the Thunder are playing right now, and they want to keep those guys around Shea Gildas-Alexander. But Chris Paul, with two more years left on his deal after this year, at like 42 and 44 million, I think, in those two years, and he's turning 35, that is a big team-building obstacle for Oklahoma City. They got given two first-round picks by Houston to take that deal back in the trade, and I think if they were able to move off of that money, that would be a big, big kind of boost to their long-term vision, even if it would set them back a little bit in terms of the playoff hunt this year. The Clippers have the pieces to offer that cap relief to Oklahoma City. Is that going to be enough? Maybe Oklahoma City thinks they can get positive assets for Chris Paul back, if not now over the summer. Uh, maybe the Clippers aren't really interested. Well, you know, I don't know exactly how things landed with, you know, I think Chris and Blake really had more beef with each other than either of them did with Doc, but a Chris and Doc reunion could be a little tumultuous. I do think that Chris Paul wants to be back in LA with his family. Um, so I think he would really want to, to try to make that work, but I don't know that that's interesting to me. I still think center is the team's biggest need that I think that, if you can swing a deal for a guy like Chris Paul, it's hard to say we're not going to take that talent upgrade because he is a legitimate third star. He is still being, you know, he's played phenomenally this season. And I don't know, man, it is hard to say, well, we could go get Chris Paul, but we really need a center. So we're going to get Dwayne Dedman instead. Right. I think if, if you can make that deal, you have to go get that talent. Yeah, I mean, I haven't done all the logistics, but that's going to be a lot of money <laughs> to match up with Chris. But I would, yeah. Yeah, like, so Patrick Beverly, right, who he hurts to lose, but you're getting Chris Paul basically in his place. And I think that's a, you know, easy sell for Oklahoma City because we know Pat and Shea can play really well together. Mo Harkless, who needs to go out for the money, so you're then you'd be running with to Michael Green and um, Patrick Patterson as you're starting in backup four, but obviously playing a lot of small ball in the playoffs. Uh, and then Roddy McRuder and Jerome Robinson for salary filler. So hmm. two guys who, you know, really have been pretty bad this year in on the bench for the Clippers. I think you could kind of replace what the Clippers have gotten from them with minimum salary guys. Yeah, that would be interesting. That would be a pretty cool story for Chris Paul to end up back in LA, win a title with the Clippers. Man, I uh, I can't yeah. even imagine. I, I'm not going to lie that I, I haven't been monitoring OKC 2020 and 10 for Shea Gilders Alexander. I'm me and Rob were thinking about doing a pod after that game, but we would have just talked about <laughs> Shea for 30 minutes. <laughs> so I'm yeah. glad we did it. Uh, Rob. I think Clippers yeah, fans would listen to that, to be honest. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, don't even get me started. I was watching a bunch of that game, really rooting for him to get that last. I think it was it was a last assist that he needed to get. He was fantastic. He's been fantastic. Um, I forgot what we were talking about. Rob, uh, anything to say about uh, – I know, I know you know about our needs. Chris Paul? What about Chris Paul, Rob? Chris Paul would be great. Um, I <laughs> – I do think losing that much depth would hurt at least a little bit, especially Mo Harkless. I mean, I don't think losing Magruder and Jerome hurts very much at all. I mean, maybe a little bit if you still have hope um, Magruder can turn it around. Uh, you know, Chris Paul does a lot of the same things that Pat Beverly does. You know, maybe not that same level of energy and not as good an offensive rebounder, but does basically everything else and also does a lot of things obviously a lot better um so it's really just Harkless and Harkless would hurt to lose he's been good this year um and yeah. he does offer something that you know as we've seen over the past decade um you know you can really never have too many big wings who can defend multiple positions um losing him would legitimately hurt but I mean it's Chris Paul and I think having him on a legitimate championship contending team in on the Clippers would be incredible I think him winning a championship with the Clippers um, would be one of the best stories in recent sports memory, I would say. Um, you know, I think that would be, that would be pretty awesome. Uh, so I don't know if it'll happen, but I would be rooting hard for it. Of course it would make any potential playoff collapse 
that much more devastating oh, oh, oh my God. and hilarious uh, for partial, uh, you know, impartial viewers. But I would be, I would be fully behind it. Yeah, I'd be, all, I'd be all for it. I think we can keep going with our questions, Rob. Yeah, we have a, a couple more here. Um, next one from um, Shift Leader at God I'm Bored. We've seen the data with Kawhi at the four being Clips best lineup. Would it make sense to target a lead guard or a stretch five all the Raptors before the trade deadline with that in mind? Again, you know, I think center. I do think the idea of a stretch five, um, you know, is interesting because maybe then you don't trade Trez and then you play Trez at the four. Um, or also maybe his defensive, you know, deficiencies are a little less um, you know, of an issue, like, you know, I'm not saying they're going to get Al Horford, but I think that's why, uh, you know, Al Horford was such a compelling trade candidate is because he's somebody who could really play alongside Montrez Harrell. Um, you know, somebody like Marcus Saul too, I think that could, that could work. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think still the, the center and kind of regardless of stretch or not would be, would be pretty, you know, the best thing. Um, who needs who needs Marcus Saul and Al Horford when we have thirty eight and fourteen in the G League right now? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh yeah, Fiondu is the stretch five we've been looking for. Yeah, exactly. Lucas, do you agree yeah, with Fiondu? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we you know we we're talking about the Clippers need to get someone to cover for Trez defensively. Trez would be covering for Fee defensively. Oh my gosh, because um, Fee, Fee is, cannot is not an NBA level defender right now. But um, I yeah, I think that a stretch five is interesting. Like Rob was saying it would be really nice to have a guy who, you know, faces the floor and is mobile defensively um, that can sort of help you unlock Trez. Um, but it's also hard to figure who that guy is. Because even a guy like Mark Gasol, I don't know that there's enough mobility in a Trez Gasol 4-5 pairing to be viable except against other teams that are going super big. Um, and the more down the list you get, into guys like Gorgie Zhang and Dwayne Dedman, yeah, they might be able to play together for spurts as part of a second unit because those guys space the floor, but that's not really going to be – like neither of those guys are the kinds of talents that are going to be huge additions to this team. So, you know, I, I, I would, I'm really interested in the potential of the Clippers getting a guy who can sort of, quote-unquote, unlock Trez by covering for him defensively. Um, not saying that this is – realistic but a guy like Al Horford probably would be the ideal fit there who's a little more you know a little more do it all defensively a good shooter a good distributor from the high post as well um but even setting aside the sort of playing with Trez factor I think the Clippers would really like you know they, they've got Zubats in the sort of traditional interior center uh rolls to the rim strong slow inside that kind of guy I think they would like to get someone who is a little more mobile, a little more athletic, can shoot the basketball a little bit. Um, that would be without, without sacrificing size on the inside uh, like Montrez does because of his height. But, you know, I, I think that that's kind of the mold of what the Clippers would like to get out of another center. So, yeah, I think a stretch five would be good. When it comes to adding another guard, the Clippers are actually already in a good position to bump Kawhi and PG down a position because Pat Bev, I think, should be on the floor almost at all times for the Clippers, uh, you know, late and close games. And then you have the ability to play Lou Williams when he's hot, play Landry Shamit if you just want someone to space the floor, or if Landry's hot, um, go offense, defense with Landry and Lou, although Landry has a big rate on defense lately. But still, I, I think you've got a lot of options there. I don't think the Clippers are in a position where you're thinking like, man, well, we're going to be going small, but if we're going to go small, we need to go get another guy. I think the Clippers have the guys they need to do that. Yeah. Yeah, Rob, we can get to the next question. Yeah, last question. So they've all been kind of similar, so sorry if our responses aren't super varied, but, you know, it happens. Um, last one is from uh, Clipperman at Clippers All In. Uh, does the Trez trade look possible, especially if Clippers don't feel they can retain, retain him after the season? Um, this is a little bit different because it's not really about the Clippers' needs so much as, um, you know, what might or might not go out. I do think it's looking more possible than it might've looked at the start of the season. Um, Cause again, I think certainly kind of his de defense has been really bad lately and whether that's just a slip for him, like maybe he's playing through an injury, he's just going through a rough stretch. I don't know. Um, but it's been really bad. And, you know, I think there have been some comments lately that have kind of, you know, doc said, 
uh, you know, a couple weeks ago that I, I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it was something about, you know, Trez not playing, uh, you know, as well as he might. It was like, it was like um, he, he closed the game with Zoo for that game. And a reporter asked him, Doc, what did you like from Zoo tonight that made you decide to stick with him in the fourth quarter? And Doc said, well, it wasn't so much what I liked that Zoo was doing as what I didn't like that Trez was doing. Yeah. And that's the first time that I was like, whoa, that right. is a spicy statement for the press. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I think Trez has improved a lot as a passer in terms of actually being able to make the reads. Um but I think his willingness to pass is still very much an issue. Um, there are times where he plays with his head down, where right. he just decides I'm going to try to score in this possession, even if he knows maybe that the smart play is to pass, or he can see that there is an angle for a pass, but decides he should try to score anyway. Um, just decision-making on both ends is still not really a strong suit, and that is a weakness at the highest levels of basketball. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's certainly, you know, a decent chance that he gets moved. I think the fact that he's a free agent and the Clippers might not want to pay him as much as other teams will is a factor. I mean, I think he's getting at least 480 from some team this summer, if not more. Um, and I just, I don't know if the Clippers want to pay him that. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's possible that he gets traded. Yeah, I mean, we've been very hesitant about wanting to pay Montrezl Harrell even before earlier this season. There's been an idea that the Clippers won the title. They're kind of handcuffed and maybe need to pay him. But we know that the Clippers front office are fairly savvy. They're not just going to throw money unless it's at Blake Griffin and then they trade him within six months. Um, but I, I'll be like perfectly honest, of all the core people on this Clipper team, Montrezl Harrell is the guy that I think should be the most available. He has obvious deficiencies. His defensive um, his defenses lapses are super killer, and he's he's offensively improved a lot. I think as a one on one player, he's improved beyond what I even thought he could do when he first came to the Clippers. But he has a lot of tunnel vision. Uh, I feel like sometimes he doesn't make passes, even though he's improved a lot in the, that pocket pass area, that Draymond Green sweet spot. Um, he still often just puts the ball down and heads straight to the rim. And I think teams know that that's often what he'll do. Um, he's done a great job becoming more independent from Lou Williams off pick and rolls. But he still has huge deficiencies. And for this team that has Lou Williams, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard to close games, you wonder how much you need a guy like Trez and with his creativity. He's great when it's Lou and him and George and Kawhi are maybe off the floor. One of them's off the floor for the creativity that he would offer then. And we did see Lou kind of go one on five when uh, Pat Pat and uh, and Jermichael were on the floor against the Pelicans and how that kind of got cold quickly but he seems like the guy that's most readily tradable especially with that contract looming I just don't want to give Trez that much money I think that he's too limited and it would it would come and bite the Clippers if we did give him that much money granted he's so young and he has he has some upside I'm not sure how much upside he has left at this point and how much better he's going to become. And I'm sure people will hear this and get frustrated because he's been better and better every season. But I feel like he's getting close to his ceiling unless he really drastically just changes the way he plays. Yeah, Lucas, do you have anything to say about this? Yeah, Trez, um, I, I mean, Trez is so, so good. And I don't, I don't want us to get lost in our critiques of him, the fact that he is like one of the most, skilled offensive like like not he doesn't have a well-rounded offensive game in terms of terms of his shooting or playmaking or anything like that but when it comes to interior scoring he is not just an energizer off the bench kind of guy he is legitimately one of the most skilled interior scoring players in the nba today Um, great and I, i don't i don't want that to get lost um in the criticisms of him defensively I think that Trez is a very, very good player. I think that he maybe is the kind of guy who needs to be a very, very good player on an okay team instead of being a good, solid player on a team with championship aspirations. I I don't know where he fit. Like, he, he doesn't seem to fit as cleanly for me into 
a defined role on a contending team that's going to have these like intense slugfests late in the postseason. Um, so that's what that's what's difficult for me with with Trez. So I do think a trade could be likely. I think probably, if I'm being honest, the thing that makes a Trez trade most unlikely to me is not the Clippers' potential reluctantness to part with him, but it's that there actually may not be a super robust trade market for Montrez Harrell right now um, to the extent that even if he does have to leave in free agency this summer, the Clippers might say, well, we may as well use him for the next few months for the playoff run because he is very good at interior scoring because we're not getting much back for him in these trade talks. He seems to me like a guy that no one really wants to pay $20 million to, but everybody thinks that somebody is going to pay $20 million to. And so he doesn't quite have the, like if Trez was on a three-year deal for $12 million a, a year, he would have a lot of value if the Clippers shopped him at this trade deadline. But on this expiring $6 million deal where everyone knows he's going to chase the money in the summer, it's really, really, yeah, it's, it's hard to see a lot of teams giving up a lot for him. And then you run into the question as soon as you start saying, well, maybe this team, you know, maybe if a team really likes Trez, and they want to chase him this summer, they'd be willing to trade for him now. And you start looking at the teams that we're talking about, you start going, well, well, can't send Trez to Minnesota. There's no way he can play with Towns, right? Like, it, and then you start realizing, man, Trez, you know, because of his unique limitations, he doesn't fit very neatly in a lot of places. So maybe what the Clippers need to do is find that team that really wants Trez. Maybe it's Atlanta, maybe it's the Knicks and orchestrate a three-team trade where Trez is going to, say, Atlanta and a draft pick is coming from Atlanta to whatever team the Clippers are talking to and the players the Clippers want is coming back to them. Yeah. Um, I think that'll do it for this episode. Do you guys have anything left to say before we get to shout-outs and credits? No, uh, really. Lucas, um, uh, Rob. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, no, I, I do want to say I, I agree. Like, you know, I, I might have seemed harsh on Trez. Um, and I, I really do think he's, you know, a really good basketball player. He's uniquely talented offensively. And watching him come into his own the past two and a half seasons has really been awesome to watch. Um, but I agree. I think he's just not a clean fit in a lot of places. And I also agree that, you know, and this is something I actually strongly support – Trez seems like the guy who will go to whatever place gives him the most money. And I greatly respect that when players do that, because that is probably what I would do. Um, And I think it's the most logical choice. Um, So I don't necessarily think a team that's trading for him down the stretch run, if they don't have the, you know, the ability to, or the desire to pay him next year, it's a true rental. Um, You know, I don't think he's, I think he's, you know, kind of a loyal guy, but you know, this is probably his going to be his biggest and only payday because he is what 25 now, maybe closing it on 26. He's, you know, a smaller undersized center who relies on athleticism four years from now, he is probably not getting much money. Um, you know, this is it for him. And I think it's a hundred percent the smartest move for him to go wherever the money is. I think that's what he's going to do. And I think that will scare some teams off him. Um, even if they do like him a lot. So I think it's really, it would have to be a team that loves him or a team that thinks he is the missing piece. And I think both of those, you know, could be hard to find, but um, yeah, I mean, I would be happy to have him. I think having him on a championship winning Clippers team would be really cool. He's a fan favorite, um, you know, and watching him develop has been awesome. Uh, But outside of that, not really. Um, Clippers have, what should be a very fun week coming up. They have four road games, uh, including a back-to-back, Tuesday, Wednesday, Dallas, and Atlanta. Atlanta is the worst team in the NBA. Um, so I'm assuming Kawhi will sit out for that one. The, the Clippers, honestly, even without PG and Kawhi, I think the Clippers should be able to win in Atlanta, even on the second night of a back-to-back. They're that bad. Um, Dallas at Dallas should be a fascinating game. At Miami on Friday should be a really great game. Um, you yeah. know, Kawhi, Jimmy Butler is always a great matchup. Um, and at Orlando – you know, Orlando, you know, again, not great. The Clippers just blew them out, but um, they're solid enough at home. They should be decent. Uh, it, it's going to be a tough week. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I think the Dallas and Miami games should hopefully be, uh, you know, two of the toughest and, and most enjoyable games the Clippers have had this year so far. 
What do you think, Rob? This week, I'm gonna, say two, I'm gonna say two and two. That's a oh. that's a pretty tough schedule. Uh, it really yeah. a lot depends on PG. Um, you know, Doc said he might come back on this road trip, but um, I I don't know. Um, at Dallas and at Miami is is really tough. I I could see three and one. Four and zero oh would be incredibly impressive. Yeah, I'm already gonna throw four and zero oh at the window. I'll say three and one. I'll I'll go with three and one. I'll say I'll say they lose. The Maverick game, and they and they win the Heat game. I don't know. Uh, this is not particularly hard hitting analysis, but I'm, I'm going to go with that. I think they they at least split those two. Those are tough games in in Dallas and Miami. Lucas, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think three and one is a safe bet here. My kind of logic whenever I do something like this is, well, there's two tough games. Clippers are pretty good. Let's say they split the tough games and they beat the two bad teams. But actually, you know, looking at this, I can sort of see. Clippers going into Dallas. They've been mm. coming off a couple of days rest after this Pelicans game. So you win that game. And then the next night, Kawhi sits out, but you're going up against the Hawks. That's tough. Um, you know, the Hawks are not good, but Kawhi and PG both out is its own story. But let's say you win that game, go to Miami, Kawhi's back, you win again. And now all of a sudden, what's, what's happening when you're the Clippers, right? You're saying, okay, we've won seven games in a row, or that would be six games in a row at that point. We won six games in a row. We're four and zero on this road trip so far. We got the Lakers in four days, and you look right over the Orlando Magic, who you just blew out in Los Angeles. The Orlando Magic, by the way, have three guys who can legitimately score the basketball um, and a top five defense in the NBA. I think that's a really dangerous trap game for the Clippers if they have a strong game in Dallas. If they beat the Hawks in that second night of the back-to-back. They have another strong showing in Miami. Next game after that Orlando game is against the Lakers. You know they'll be looking forward to that. That is a classic trap game situation. Yeah, it is early game too, so it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Clippers do this week. I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like it, it could be geez. it could be a bunch of uh, it could be a bunch of really interesting games. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost to the Hawks or the Magic. It's like. This Clipper team, you just don't know. And the Hawks came into LA last year, I want to say, and and handled the Clippers pretty easily when Tobias was still on the team, I want to say. And uh, that was a surprising loss, but Trey Young really carved him up. Uh, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting schedule. I want to get to some shout-outs. <clears throat> Tom, uh, Thomas Cochran, uh, a one-time shout-out. I want to say what's up to him. Uh, do you guys have? Do you guys know Thomas? I, I don't. I don't know much to say. I like to I like to give these guys some some do, but I don't know what much to say about Thomas. Do you guys know Thomas at all? Uh, I, I I recognize the name. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, I I talk to him on Twitter. I don't have any. <laughs> don't have anything to say. That, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have recognition from Lucas Hahn, who's who's a pretty pretty big big wig for the Clippers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know uh, as far as our monthly guys, Twisted Wrister is coming up. And he's always been a lot of fun on Clips Nation. Uh, has some great gifts and just a funny dude. Uh, Love to shout, out, shout him out. It'll be fun to shout him out again next month. Keep doing your thing. Uh, come with us at 2 and 3 Hoops and, and keep making everybody laugh. Uh, Tyler Kenny, uh, Travis Higgins, Richard Moon, uh, Jared Brenner, uh, Vincent uh, Yan- Yanagita. If I mispronounce anybody's names, I apologize. Carlos Machado, uh, Chris Escara, Daniel... Schwedfeger, uh, uh, Charlie Fu, Yagnish Vadgama, uh, James McIntosh, and uh, Niran uh, Samasudaram. Um, that's pretty much. We went through a few more people because we didn't pod last time. But to everybody that's supporting us, thank you so much for just doing your thing and being part of our community and contributing to help us keep everything going at Two and Three Hoops. Lots of things in the pipeline for that site and for this community and just kind of going forward. And that'll do it for this episode of the law of the jam, the podcast. You guys have anything else to say, Lucas? No, you know, always a pleasure. Uh, hopefully we'll have some good trade deadline stuff coming up. My series of, uh, of potential targets is going to keep coming out. Um, but yeah, you know, always good to be on the show. Rob. Yeah, I don't have anything. Uh, <laughs> shout, out, shout out to the listeners. Thanks, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for the trade deadline. I'm excited for the new site to launch, um, which should be in the coming weeks. So we'll have more on that soon as well.
Thanks for listening, everyone. I apologize for any coughs that might have been heard on this podcast. Hopefully, they'll be gone by next weekend. Uh, leave us a nice review and whatever you listen to us to. And as always, go Clippers! <laughs>